You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 tonight, verses 7 through 11. Well, as you guys know, we've been taking some time out from going through a book of the Bible. We finished 1 Samuel, and uh, we're taking a look at our mission and vision for our church um, as it stands right now, because the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, God wants us to live with a sense of brevity of time, and therefore an urgency because indeed the time is short. And if it's not short for the world, but we we know it is, it's short for us individually because our lives are but a vapor. And before we know it, we're done. And so what do we do? Do we sit back and just wait for death to come, wait for the grim reaper to come and reap us? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. But in light of this end of all things is at hand, we're given some instruction. And this is what Peter gets into now. And so he goes on to say in the middle of verse seven, therefore, therefore, well, since the end of all things are at hand, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So that's our first directive in light of the timing is to be serious and watchful in our prayers. Serious means sober. It means to be in your right mind. It means to be self-controlled and watchful. Watchful, this Greek word used here, literally means to abstain from drinking wine. It means to be sober, not to be drunk or under the influence, literally. But it also just means, hey, be alert. Be calm and collected in spirit. Be temperate, be dispassionate, be circumspect. Circumspect, circum means around, like a circle, circum. Spect, like spectacles, looking around. Be watchful, serious and watchful in your prayers. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to be in the right mind and alert, which prepares us, it puts us in the right mindset for effective prayer. It actually leads us into effective prayer. If I'm looking around and I'm being thoughtful about what's happening in the world and my life and things like that, it's going to make me want to pray. And then it is the correct mental state as we pray to be active and not passive in prayer. To not like say these rote prayers and these repetitions, but to actually be thoughtful in the composition of our prayers as we're praying with one another. And then we're to be persistent in our prayers. As the New Living Bible says, it says, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. It does require discipline to pray, doesn't it? Boy, it is so easy for our minds to drift when we pray. It's easy for my mind to drift. 
Maybe I just have ADD or something. But man, I start praying and it's like, woo, I think of this, woo, I think of that, and I think of everything. And then I have to bring myself back, bring myself back, you know? And then I went out with Pastor Rich for lunch and he really encouraged me, hey, you know, James, make that list and pray through the list. And I've been doing that every day since. And it really is helpful to keep me focused in prayer and to bring up the things, you know, the, the people and the issues and things like that that I want to pray for consistently. And so that helps uh, with being focused, being serious, and being watchful in our prayers. So I would encourage you, if you have a, a problem with letting your mind drift and things like that, try making a list and try praying through that list, you know? It doesn't have to be a legalistic thing. This is why the Bible doesn't say, okay, I want you to, you know, get out your prayer rug and three times a day, I want you to put it out and bow to the east and then you're good. Why? Because God wants relationship. I'm not gonna say to my bride, hey babe, I'm going to sit down with you at this time, this time, and this time every day and we'll talk for 10 minutes. That's all you get. Can you imagine that? And so it is with God. It's about relationship. It's about communication. It's about openness. He's provided a way. He's provided access by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Our sins are washed away and we're forgiven. And we can go before his throne of grace with what? Boldness. Boldness. Some of us are afraid to talk to God. He's too awesome. He's too great. He's too big. Well, these things are all true. He's amazing. And how can I, a sinful person, stand before God and ask him for a parking place? Seriously? And so they just like, no, God's too good. I don't have that kind of relationship with God. You know, God and I, we... We have respect for one another, <laughs> or whatever. And God says, man, I just want to go back to the Garden of Eden with you, have fellowship with you, like I did with Adam and with Eve before they sinned in the garden and hid themselves and covered themselves. I want to talk to you. And so we don't have to analyze and, um, you know, get analysis paralysis over how we compose the words to our prayers. We don't have to worry about what other, th other people think. It's not a performance. It's talking to God, who is our friend through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he doesn't care if we stutter. He doesn't care if we don't have the big vocabulary. He doesn't care. He just wants us to come to him, to bring our requests to him, to say, good morning, God, <laughs> and spend time with him. That's what he wants. But he wants us to bring our petitions to him, for sure. So we're to be active in our prayer. It's not a passive thing. It's not a legalistic thing. And we're also to be persistent in our prayers. And the bottom line is that Jesus is coming soon, so we need to pray and remove any hindrances to prayer. And I think of that word sober. And so if, you're, if we're getting drunk, 
if we're using substances, if we're getting high on marijuana, then it will inhibit our prayers. And we need to sober up and be serious-minded in our right mind and watchful in our prayers. This is what God would desire for us. Now, we look to Jesus as an example. And in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, the night before he's crucified, you remember he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was distressed. The end of all things were near, if you will, for him personally, uh, as far as his life on earth. And he was about to do the most difficult thing that any human being has ever done in the history of mankind. And he was distressed about this. And so what did he do? Well, he went into prayer. And we're told in Matthew 26, verse 36. You guys can turn there, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Speaking of his disciples, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. Now, interestingly, we have the same command today. We're told to sit here on the earth while he goes and prays over there. Over where? In heaven. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for you and for me. He prays to the Father for you and for me. He's our advocate. And so he says, sit here (laughs) while I go and pray over there. Verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Remember, he was about to be crucified, and he knew it. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch or be vigilant with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done in another gospel. Not my will, but your will be done. What a great prayer to pray, to surrender our will to the Father's will and say, I want to do what you want, God. You're the king I'm your subject, you give the orders, I carry them out by your grace and with your help. And that's the attitude that we're to have as believers instead of, God, you do this for me and you do that for me, and I want this and I want that. But we say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. I surrender myself to you, you're the king. That's what it means for him to be our Lord. Verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. This is huge. Prayer keeps us from temptation in the time of trial. If we're at ease and we figure, I have nothing to pray about. You ever ask someone, so how can I pray for you? And they say, everything's good. Oh, great. Praise God. But guess what? Just wait around a little while. If everything's good now, it's not going to be because this is humanity and this is the world we live in. And so 
We need to pray even in times of ease, spending time with the Lord, not letting our devotion time slip, staying in the word, staying in prayer and communication. And then when the trial comes, man, we're bolstered up and we're strengthened and the walls are built up so that we can withstand the onslaught of the enemy and the trials of life that will inevitably come against us. And he goes on to say there in the middle of verse 41, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here's why we don't spend time in prayer. It's because of the flesh, friends. The flesh doesn't want to do it. The enemy wants to keep us from doing it. He doesn't want us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't want us to pray for our loved ones that they'd get saved, things like that. And so the enemy will come in and inhibit those prayers and trying to keep us from praying, but also our flesh doesn't want it. It's humbling to pray, to acknowledge that, hey, I, I can't, so God will you? That's humbling. Our flesh wants to be prideful. And it's, it's difficult in the flesh because it can be wearisome. And that's what's happening to these guys. They're sleepy, they're tired, it's been a long day. <laughs> out in Jerusalem, running around, doing all these things, and then it's late, it's time to lay down and go to sleep, and Jesus says, hey, let's pray for an hour. Ah, you're the spiritual guy, you go pray. <laughs> Maybe that's why he put them together, so that they would have a better chance of holding each other accountable and saying, hey, let's, let's stay up together because I can't really do it on my own. Let's pray together. Man, Jesus is really going through something here. But they couldn't, they fell asleep. Jesus says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It was too late. They had their window of opportunity. That time frame expired. Boom, the trial is now upon them, and they are not prayed up. And what happens to Peter? He denies Jesus three times. And what happens to the others? They all flee away from Jesus. They were not prayed up and ready for the trial. And so when God impresses it upon our hearts to pray, let's do it. Have you, has he ever woken you up in the middle of the night and said, pray right now? Perhaps he's put someone on your heart, a person's name or whatever. We do well to, to pray because there's something going on there. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you about this. And so we pray. We pray. I was visiting a house one time, and there were some problems happening in that house, some big problems. And God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, pray. And I knew because of the problems that were happening in this home, I need to pray. And I prayed. And I prayed in my prayer language, and I prayed fervently. In, for this home, for this household. And so we need to be obedient to the Lord and be in prayer. 
And he says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. And so we are to be serious and watchful in our prayers. And so let's do that because there will come a day where the end has happened. Whether it be the Lord takes us home, we're done. Oh, I thought I had 10 more years. You're done. You're with the Lord now. Or we hear that final trump, no pun intended, and we go to heaven. And it's done. It's done. And we're going to go, oh, wow. Lord, thank you for that you've died for all my sins because I look back and I go, I should have done so much more. Now, some of you are doing so much for the Lord. You're like, I need to do more. I need to do more. And God's going, hey, calm down and just do what I tell you to do. But others of us, we're not spending time in prayer. We're not having our devotion time. We're not listening to headquarters. And God is saying, hey, 2023, new beginnings. I haven't come for you yet. So let's have a new start. And let's, as a church, be a church of prayer. Amen? Let's be a church of prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another. To one another. You know, confession is so good. This is a little rabbit trail. It won't take me long, I don't think. Confession is so, so good. To get it from your heart out your mouth to God first, foremost, and as it says here, to one another. You're owning it. You're owning the problem. And something happens when we confess. Brother, I've been clicking on porn. Sister, I've been getting drunk. I'm struggling with materialism. I've racked up the bills. (laughs) got this gambling issue. Will you pray for me? Confess your trespasses to one another. Confession is is a big part of what we're called to do, to own it, to own it. And then it says, and pray for one another that you may be healed. We need spiritual healing, most importantly, and first and foremost, and we need physical healing. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Does a lot of good. Ephesians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's so many testimonies in my life of answered prayer. So many testimonies. And you guys have similar testimonies in your lives. But it's so wonderful to hear the testimonies. I remember when I was in third grade and I felt alone and didn't have friends. And then my dad came in. He said, what's wrong, Jimmy? And now I look back and I could have said, well, it was all that pizza and the candy that I ate, Dad. But instead I said... Dad, I don't have any friends. (laughs) And he prayed with me for friends. And it was that same year I met Bill Hoganson's son, Steve. 
that year after we prayed, met Steve at church, and, uh, and then got this group of friends beginning in third grade that I had all throughout high school and on into today. And so God answered that prayer as my dad sat down and said, without saying, I'm gonna teach you about prayer right now, son, but simply, well, Jimmy, why don't we talk to Jesus and ask him for friends? And we did, and God answered that prayer, and I know it was God. And my spouse, my children, Christy and I were infertile, and we prayed, God, what do you want us to do about this? Should we pursue the medical field? Should we, you know, do adoption internationally or domestically? What should we do? And God brings in this Snowflakes program, Adopted Embryos. And Christy, who I don't know why, but she has such a heart to be pregnant. <laughs> All you ladies are like, what do you mean you don't know why? Well, it's because I'm a man, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and so she was blessed to be able to carry our kids in her womb. God answered the prayer. We wouldn't change a thing. The move, oh, the move. The, the biggest miracle about being called to move from California to Colorado, one of the biggest ones that sticks out, and there were a lot, because there was a lot of miracles that had to, do, to happen for us to do that, but um, one of them was that God called us to move. We were living in a house um, it actually belonged to Mark and Rody Fisher, and we had a lease with them. And so I'm like, man, God, you're telling me to move, but you're also telling me to keep my word, and we've signed a lease, and I need to honor that. So we prayed about it. Lord, what are we going to do about this lease and, and things? And sure enough, Christy was actually on the phone with someone from church, and uh, it was... Um, Sherry Bridgeford, she's on the phone with, some of you know uh, the Bridgefords, she's on the phone with Sherry Bridgeford, and um, she's, they were chatting about some event or something, and then she got, walks into the church, and she looks at the bulletin board, and it says there, um, looking for a home in Anaheim, three bedrooms, and Christy's reading this going, and then she looks at the Bob, and it says, Sherry Bridgeford, and she goes, Sherry! are you looking for a home in Anaheim to rent? And she's like, yeah. And we were like, I wasn't there. She was like, and, uh, and, and so Jeff and Sherry were able to take over our lease and Mark and Rody didn't miss a single payment. So it turned out to be a blessing for all of us all around. God provided, God answers prayer. He does miracles, miracles. Oh, so many, so many testimonies. Praise God, he answers prayer. Now, I wanna encourage you guys with this. I want to encourage you to have an individual prayer life. Don't just rely on other people, church, Bible study for all your prayer. Carve out time with the Lord. Remember that Daniel carved out time, morning, noon, and evening. And so I would encourage you to just carve out some time and say, hey, Lord, this time belongs to you. You don't have to punch yourself if you don't do it every time. But just make some time for the Lord. And then it says in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. 
pray without ceasing. And so stay in touch throughout the day, little prayers. And you just find it, it becomes a habit if you don't already have that habit. But over time, you just find yourself talking to God and checking in with him. The Bible says, as we mentioned already, to be instant in prayer. And then, of course, corporate prayers. Uh, we pray at every service here. We encourage prayer. In Acts chapter 1, we're told that the disciples gathered in the upper room, and there was 120 of them. And it says in Acts 1.14 that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were one family, they were brothers and sisters in Christ, and they prayed together collectively. And this is our example. In fact, in Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In prayers. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.